Hello and welcome to another episode of A Little Ray of Sunshine, inspirational stories from everyday people. Today I have with me Jade Bills, and Jade's a friend of mine. I appreciate you being here with me today, and uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation to see where it goes. Perfect. Jade, why don't you just jump right in and tell me what makes Jade, Jade? You know, Grover, I've kind of thought about this over the last couple of days, what I wanted to share with you on this podcast. There's a lot of you know, we all have life experiences. I love listening to your podcasts and hearing everybody's stories on there. One that's kind of unique with me is I'm a law enforcement officer. Mm-hmm. I currently work in the local law enforcement community, and I also worked in Utah under the Utah Highway Patrol for about seven years. And, you know, everywhere I go, every time I interact with people, they always want to hear the stories, right? Yeah. What what happened or what did you do today? And yeah. you, What's it like to be a police officer, a state patrolman? Yeah, I you, get it. I you get got it. it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't start off wanting to be a police officer. It's not something I desired. I went to college. I got a teaching degree in biology mm-hmm. back when it was Rick's College. I did two years at Rick's and two years at BYU-Idaho and graduated and went into cells after that and did really well and enjoyed cells. But After some time, I felt like it was a little too mundane for me, and it wasn't something I was passionate about. And law enforcement at that time in my life, kind of a sudden career change after working in sales for about 10 years. Yeah. What brought you to that point? I mean, that seems like a a big difference between two careers. Yeah, it's, it's something I've never had any experience with. I never had any family members really serve in law enforcement. My dad did military, but no real law enforcement. But, you know, after leaving cells, I really spent some time just kind of praying and thinking about where I wanted to be in my life Mm -hmm. and what I could do with the skills that I had. And law enforcement just kept on coming back to my mind. And so I brought it up with my wife. We talked about it. We prayed about it. And we went forward with it, felt like it was the right thing to do. And here I am. You know, I've been in there about 11 years now, and I love it. I absolutely enjoy doing what I do every day. What's the hardest thing about being in law enforcement? You know, every day is something different. And there's all kinds of hard things, whether it's something hard, like you see somebody lose their life Mm -hmm. right in front of you, Mm -hmm. and you're there with them at the last second. Or you see the family members who are struggling with that loss, and you're the one left to help them through that as that first responder to the scene. Mm -hmm. And, you know, death is probably always one of the hardest things to respond to. Right. But there's so much more in law enforcement that it is hard, right? Yeah. Every So one of the things I learned in law enforcement is you have to treat every situation you approach as if it's not going to go the way you think, as if it's going to be if somebody's going to kill you or want to kill you. And that's scary. You know, when you go up on just a traffic stop, you don't know if you're approaching somebody who's a mass murderer or if you're approaching somebody who is a great community member who is there and, you know, supports law enforcement. I have no idea until I get up to that window and begin talking to them. I don't have any idea who I'm approaching or what I'm encountering. (laughs) And... You know, one of the, I can recall a stop I made last year and this big tall guy, he wasn't, he was a young kid, but he was about six, three and I'm about five, seven. 
He probably weighed 250 pounds. I weigh like 140 pounds, so kind of a smaller guy. He's about double the size of me, and he, you know, he got out of his car, and he came up, and he stood up, and he sized me up, and he kind of puffed out his chest at me, and I saw the signs that he, you know, was looking for a fight. And long story short, he ended up a couple months later killing somebody. And just to think, you know, those encounters, that could have been me that he wanted to kill that day. Fortunately, it wasn't. Mm -hmm. But every situation you encounter out there can be encountering somebody like that. Yeah. Have you ever felt like your life has really been in danger in any situation that you've been in? And then when it was over with, you realized how dangerous it was? You know, I have a a story I want to share with you about that. This one was when I was a trooper in Utah working for the highway patrol. I had this situation. I, I, I was doing traffic stops, and I saw this car that kind of looked a little, it just caught my interest as I was driving down the highway. So I followed it for a little bit, and it took the next exit. And so I followed it down the exit, and it takes the exit, and then it makes a left-hand turn, but it doesn't signal. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm going to go out and talk to this guy and just kind of see what's going on and see how things are. So I turn on my lights and he pulls over to the side of the road and I was taught to always go on the passenger side of the vehicle. It gives you a more broad perspective of what you're looking at into the vehicle. Mm -hmm. So I'm not limited by the driver. He's not blocking the view, but I can actually see inside from the passenger and get a better view. So I'm walking up on that side and I notice there's two passengers in the back seat. And then there's a driver driving the car. So there's three people in the car. Nobody's in the front seat. <laughs> As I approach the car, you know, I knock on the window and he rolls it down. And I said, hey, I stopped you because, you know, you didn't signal. And I asked, you know, do you have license and registration insurance? And the kid says, I don't have my license with me. And I said, well, do you have a license? And he says, yeah, I have a license. I'll give you my name and date of birth. And I can look up people through that information. So when he gives me his name, I actually recognize the name as somebody that is familiar to law enforcement. It wasn't familiar to me, but I'd heard his name passed around as somebody who's caused a little bit of trouble and been wanted by the police on several different occasions. And so my usual protocol is to take that information they give me and walk back to my car and run the information through my dispatch center to see if they have any warrants for their arrest or to see if their license is valid or to kind of see what's going on with that individual. For some reason, I felt something a little different on this stop and I didn't feel comfortable going back to my car. I felt like I needed to stay right where I was and I just had this little feeling inside of me. And so I just took a step back away from the door, but where I could see everybody and just watched them. And then I spoke into the microphone and you know, address my dispatch from there where I could see people. Well, it was a good thing because I was able to keep eyes on my people in the car. It also, when dispatch answered me back, one of the, another officer came on to the radio and kind of in a loud voice said, hey, do you have that guy stopped? I need to interview him for a burglary. And at that point, he heard that through my microphone (laughs) and that kind of got him worried a little bit. And he said, what did he say? And I said, oh, they were just checking to see who you were and stuff. And I actually asked him to step out of the car. And he says, I don't want to get out of the car. I said, why not? He says, because every time I get out of the car, I get in a fight. 
And so you got these little indicators, right, that something's not quite sitting right on here. And shortly after that point, I see the back doors of the car open up and both of the backseat passengers just jump out of the car. There's no communication. There was nothing that happened inside of the vehicle, but the two backseat passengers jump out of the vehicle. The driver, he's kind of looking around. He's using his hands and kind of looking for the registration insurance because I had asked him to get those. And he reaches up under his dashboard. And I'm like, that's not normal. Like, why are you reaching underneath the steering wheel to see if you can find your registration? And as soon as the two backseat passengers jump out of the car, he actually takes off. And so my first thoughts is, well, do I chase after him? Or I've got two passengers that I need to identify and figure out what's going on here too. And I didn't feel like I should leave the two people that he that had jumped out of the car. So I radioed to dispatch and let them know that he had just taken off from the stop. And so I had a couple other officers come in route and he actually ran up into Ogden and ended up crashing into a house there. They went in and searched the car and they actually found a big container of drugs underneath his seat. There was also a big handgun in there. And after evaluating the situation and everything, it looks like he was looking up under the dash for that handgun, but he had placed it down into the gun safe with the drugs in there. And, you know, that was just one of those situations where I was grateful he didn't have time to look under the seat. He didn't have time because I was standing there watching every minute of it. Isn't that interesting? And that that was just a gut feeling yeah. that you had. Well, I wouldn't say it's a gut feeling. One of the things I really Prompting, try to do maybe? in law enforcement is I pray before I go to work. Mm-hmm. I say a prayer that I can be safe, but also that I can be led to help out people that need to be helped. And I can tell you, Grover, I know that the Lord has guided me to people that whether it's they needed to get off of the road because they were going to cause some danger to somebody else, Mm -hmm. or whether it was just somebody who just needed a friendly face in a stressful situation. I know I've been guided by the Spirit. That's because you ask for that, that uh, guidance. Absolutely. How does your family play into this with your career in law enforcement? Is it hard for them to know that, and even for your wife, to send you out each day into the world knowing that, you know, it's a dangerous field? You know, we've had a lot of talks about that, and especially at the start of my career in law enforcement, we really had a lot of talks going in, hey, is this right for us? Mm -hmm. Is this something you can handle? And we've learned a lot. When I go into my job and I go and go to work, I have to be on an emotional high (laughs) almost all day long. I have to have a very high sense of awareness of what's going on around me and also to be able to handle people who are going through probably one of the worst days of their life. Usually most of the people I encounter on a day, it's the worst day of their life. And my job is to be kind of that calming voice and that, hey, it's okay, here's what we're going to do, you know, and lead them through step by step of what needs to happen to get on, to move on to the next stage. Mm -hmm. So by the time I get home, I'm kind of almost emotionally drained and it's a it's almost a roller coaster right but by the time i'm almost on that emotional low by the time i get home and so nancy my wife has been very good about recognizing that we've read a couple books about it and how to help spouses through that how to 
recognize, okay, he just got home from work, give him a little bit of breathing room and some time to relax, whether that's exercising, whether that's just relaxing for a few minutes. And some days I don't have that low, but you know, it's been something we've communicated through and we've worked through. And now it still has its harder days, right? But it's, it's a lot smoother process. How do you not bring work home with you? I mean, you see things many times on a daily basis that the average citizen wouldn't see or hear. How do you not let that affect you and your family life? You know, that's, I'll tell you, for whatever reason, that's one of those things I've been able to manage through really well emotionally. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of another experience I had, and this was actually pre-law enforcement, but Mm -hmm. it's one of the experiences that actually got me my law enforcement job. And when I was living here, my son Jaden was about five years old. And I worked in my sales job and we would go over to the Apple Athletic and, you know, swim over there. And we had a membership over there where we would spend time over there. And usually we, Nancy and I would go together. And well, one day I actually took my three older kids. It was Joanne and Noah and Hiram and Jaden, I guess my four oldest kids. And like I said, Jaden was five. So Hiram would have been seven and Noah nine and Joanne 11 at the time. And we were swimming in the little swimming area. It's not too deep on there. And the kids had little flotation devices that they would jump onto and then have fun. And (laughs) the three older ones knew how to swim. Jaden didn't quite know how to swim all the way, but he would swim with the little flotation device and swim around and be really good on there. I got talking to a friend that I saw and hadn't seen in a couple of years. And so we were just talking and kind of sitting there and swimming. And I turned back around and I don't see Jaden. I I look around the pool and I look over into the big swimming pool area and I don't see him there. And so I yell at Joanne and Noah. I'm like, where's Jaden? They're like, we don't know. But they're like, there's somebody down there in the water. Oh, my word. And I look down in the water and there's this little boy lying on the bottom of the pool. Again, it's only three or four feet deep, but it was taller than he was at the time. So I run over there really quickly and I grab him and it's just a lifeless body. Like there's no feeling to it. There's no movement. He doesn't have any feeling inside of him. (laughs) And I rush him over to the side of the swimming pool. And, you know, I was taught in scouts by my dad several times how to do CPR, how to, you know, help somebody who's drowned and, So I grab him out of the pool, and as I do that, there's actually a couple other people on the other side of the pool that are like, hey, we know CPR. Let us come help. And I'm like, well, I've got him. Let me get him out and let me see. And usually, I guess it's just like that experience that I had when I was on that traffic stop. I felt a sudden impression of how I should lay him on his side, actually, and in a recovery position. And I, so I laid him on his side and did a little CPR on him. And within minutes, he started throwing up water and came to and got him into the ambulance and got him to the hospital and he turned out okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I share that experience because one of two things, one is that really showed in a law enforcement that I could handle things in a emotionally intense filled situation that I could recall what I needed to do and how to help to be able to handle a situation and not stress out 
or not, a lot of people that I encounter will completely almost collapse or faint because they don't know what to right. do so much. Right. Um, but two, it also showed me that I could handle things emotionally and not let them overcome me. And again, in my job, I, I see things that I wouldn't wish anybody ever to see. No, that's absolutely right. So, Jade, I'm sure different calls come in every day. You don't know what's going to come in. Have you ever had to deal with something that kind of hit home really close to you and affected you that way? You know, I actually had an experience just recently with one of my sons that I have. He's he's moved out of the house and moved on. And as a teenager, we really struggled with him. Um, he just was, he was defiant and he wanted to kind of pursue his own path. <laughs> and we were the parents that said, no, this is the path you're going to take, right? You're in our house and we need you to do what we're doing. And it was a fight and it was an ongoing battle that we had. Well, I had a recent, uh, last week I had an experience where we had this girl, young teenage girl who she just, she's ran away from home a couple times. She's actually living with guardians right now that are taking care of her. And just, you know, in one of those circumstances, in one of those situations, she doesn't feel like she has parents and she feels like she's being controlled by her parents. And so the call I got was she had gotten in trouble before for having some controlled substance. And so she's on probation. She has a probation officer that checks in with her. Well, this instance, the probation officer had worked with the parents saying, okay, well, she can't have those in her room. She can't have, you know, any type of drug. She can't have any type of alcohol. And they had worked out with the parents where having a phone wasn't a good idea for her either because she had ran away from home using phone contacts and friends and... <laughs> So on this occasion, the dad called and said, well, I uh, was walking by the room and I saw this vape cartridge in her room and she's not supposed to have those. And then it looked like she was hiding a phone, but she won't give them to us. She won't show us. She refuses to show. And that brought back a lot of memories with my son, um, especially the phone. Those phones are lifelines of those teenagers anymore. And taking away a phone from a teenager is that's taking away their life like they have no they often don't think they have a reason to live if they don't have their phone and they get into this situation that's really difficult so that's kind of how this girl was acting when I came in she was actually on the floor crying and couldn't control because she wanted her phone so bad as well as this vape cartridge the dad or the guardian had lost a little bit of control and had actually you know trying to get the phone had actually come on to her a little bit and almost hit her a little bit not intentionally to hurt her in any way but he felt bad because he's like I don't want to you know use physical force against my daughter yeah. and she was hurt by that as well because she's like oh he said he'd never touch me he'd never do anything so I separated the situation I brought the girl over into a separate room and brought her where I could talk to her on a personal level and let her know we're not there to get her in trouble we're not there to be your enemy. We want to help her. We want her to be successful. We want her to, you know, have goals and have reason to live and a reason to be there. And again, having this communication with this 
15-year-old daughter, just it brought back a lot of memories of having these conversations with my son. And that was the first thing I did when I got home as I shared with my wife and just said, you know, I had this situation that was very similar to what we went through with our son. And it was, it was neat to see from that outside perspective rather than that parenting perspective. Mm-hmm. And to feel with that parent, I felt that same feeling of like, I knew, I remember I stood up to Noah, my son one day, and kind of sized him up and puffed out my chest a little bit, like, cause he was getting, you know, and, and that was the thought that came over me at that point. Fortunately, I had that thought that came and said, you don't like, it's not worth it to fight, right? That's not mm-hmm. gonna, that's not gonna accomplish anything. And it really helped me to see that personal level and kind of see it afterwards. So Mm -hmm. that was a good experience that taught me that. So as you look at your career, you've had 11 years in law enforcement. Are you a different person in whatever way you want to talk about? But are you a different person for going through the experiences that you've gone through? You know, I think there's some good and some bad to that. I definitely am a different person. I see things in a different light. And I'll just be honest with you, Grover, like 98% of the people I deal with are people like you and I, like just wonderful people in the community, right? Goofy looking old guys. That's right. (laughs) And some of, you know, that's the majority of the people I deal with. It really is. It's a 2% of the community that make it kind of have a bad name. Um, Here in Southeast Idaho, even in Utah, people are, I work in the best place in the world. I'll just say it that way. Mm-hmm. People are amazing. Communities are amazing. People are supportive of law enforcement. People are supportive of what we do. And one of the things I told you that story about the kid that sized me up on the side of the road and then went yeah. on to, you know, kill somebody a little while later. The one comment I made to him is I said, you know what, if you're going to hit me, like, go ahead. But you see every car driving by, I guarantee you, they will all stop and they will be on my side. And he kind of backed down after that, and <laughs> I actually, and then he let me put him into handcuffs and take him where to where he needed to go at that point. <laughs> That's pretty quick thinking. <laughs> so, but it, it's absolutely true. I hundred percent believe that mm-hmm. any person that I have out there will have my back because they know that we are doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're not out there to you know, make it a bad world. We're trying to help and serve people. Right. So that's a good thing. The bad thing is sometimes in law enforcement, we get that idea of everybody's a criminal, right? Because that's the people I deal with on a regular sentence, right? Have you become more critical of people because of that thought? You don't know who's going to be good, who's going to be bad. You know, I really try not to. I can't say that I'm not more critical than I ever have been, but I try my best to. One of the things that I've really looked at in law enforcement is even when I have to take somebody to jail is treating them like they're a child of God. Every person that I've ever encountered, if I treat them not like a criminal, but if I treat them like they're a person or like they're a child of God, I don't have very many times where people have fought me, I guess, put it that way. Mm -hmm. People are really good. And I've had people, you know, thank me. I've had people, even when I'm taking them to jail, right? They thank me for what they're doing and they realize and they're like, hey, I know I messed up. And I think that recognizing people are people and treating them like that has really helped in that aspect. But like I said, I I still am a little bit more critical than I would say I used to be. Mm -hmm. So I've heard, and of course I've had a son in law enforcement in the past, but I've heard that the divorce rate 
for people in law enforcement seems to be pretty high. What do you think that's attributed to? You know, I think communication is always a hard thing. There's times when I come home and I feel like I want to talk to Nancy, but sometimes I don't want to share with her, you know, some of the things I see and I'm not ever going to like, she doesn't need to see that or know that because it's not something I wanted to go through. So why would I want somebody else to go through it? Mm -hmm. I think that communication is super important in any relationship, right? In any level of any relationship. But if you don't feel like you can talk to your spouse about something, then that automatically starts to create a void in there. And so I think law enforcement, and it goes back to what we talked about, that stressing of, you know, I'm on this high level Mm -hmm. when I go to work, and then I come home and I have to crash some point. And so I think that that communication, having that understanding has helped Nancy and I really to be supportive and helpful towards one another. Yeah. And that communication you talk about, I suppose that could go, doesn't matter what profession you're in. You know, you come home from work and, you know, there are things that you'd, you'll share and there are things that probably don't need to be brought home. But communicating, I think that's the key in any relationship, in any profession, wouldn't you say? It's so sad to see, again, we live in one of the best areas in the world, but I do see a lot of people who go through divorce. I see a lot of college kids who they get married and within a couple months, they can't survive together. Sometimes it's months, sometimes it's a year. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's, you know, a little, they get into a hard time and the easy thing now seems just to be divorce. And it's almost a common regular thing. And it's, it's really sad to see how Satan works on families and how he makes it seem like it's okay. Oh, you didn't, it didn't work out. It's okay. Move on. And Again, I see a lot of the bad things on there, but I see so many divorces that have gone sour to the point where people can't talk to each other. They put up protection orders against each other so that if somebody texts them, then that person has to be taken to jail. Like It's that severe that they will not talk in any way to their other side. And there's reasons for that. There is valid reasons for those situations, but it's a very common practice now. And it's it's sad to see how many... People are hurting so much inside because they couldn't learn that communication is what I would say is one of the biggest factors Mm -hmm. in that is being able to communicate and work out problems together. Yeah, I think you're right. What is your best Jade Bills advice? Not Jade Bills, the law enforcement officer, but just Jade Bills because... I know you, and you're a happy guy, and and I feel like you're just very confident in yourself, and you've got a wonderful family. What's Jade Bill's advice to anyone that uh, is listening? You know, I would say a couple different things on there. Good. One is life is all about attitude. Everything we do, there's a quote, and I, I can't quote it exactly on there, but there's one of my favorite quotes that I remember of all time is, life is 90% attitude and 10% what we do. So the better our attitude is, the better we look at life and we look at our situation and we recognize challenges as opportunities to grow. Like we're going to be successful. We're going to enjoy life. We're going to be happy. If we don't see it that way, then if we see that glass is half empty, well, then we're looking at things and we're going to struggle. We're going to have a hard time through there. That's amazing because, and and I think actually that quote you gave, I heard a similar one, maybe it's from the same one, but Lou Holtz, 
gave a similar quote. He was a football coach at Notre Dame. Might have been who it was. And it, yeah, and it's amazing because I think attitude is that's everything, right? That's everything. So, well, you're kind of a, a light in a dark room, if you will, as I see you. And uh, I think people will recognize that as they listen to your message. And I think uh, you brought hope and inspiration. And so for that, I thank you. Thank you, Grover. It's been a pleasure to be here with you today. Likewise, likewise. And so, as always, to my listeners, remember to speak up, speak out, and speak often. Bye-bye.